Are you ready for the word? Amen. Amen. Grab your Bibles if you have them. In a few moments, we're going to go to Psalm chapter 92. <clears throat> Today, we're beginning a brand new series. I'm so excited to get into it. We, right before Easter, we spent four weeks talking about the series Unchanged. It is, again, going to be the context for the conversations you have with your life group in the coming weeks. But that series was all about the why of the church. You know, we don't get to pick the mission of the church. It's not our church. It's Jesus' church. Amen? The creator of a thing determines the purpose of it. And so Jesus said, I'll build my church. And so he created the why for the church. And so we spent four weeks talking about those things. We're, we're called to gather in worship. We're called to grow in discipleship. We're called to go in evangelism. And we're called to give in compassion. That's the why. No matter what's happening in the culture, the why remains the same. And how many of you know a lot has happened in the culture? A lot has shifted, and so we have to stay laser-focused on the mission of the church. But in this series, for the next few weeks, what I want to do is not talk so much about the why. I want to talk about the ways. Because as our mission never changes, our methods often do. And there are some things in the, in the culture of this church that are unique to this church. I, I thank God for what he's doing globally in the capital C church, but I also have my preferences. And if it's okay with you, I have a favorite church. Is it okay if I just admit this is my favorite church? Uh, you're my favorite people to worship with. You're my favorite people to get to, to preach to and to do life with. And, and I appreciate that uh, you, the other church you like more than this one wasn't available today. And you came today. I'm just going to pretend this is your favorite church too. Come on, anybody love this church? Amen. I love what God's doing here. And, and we've seen that there are some things that we value. They're not so much about the, the beliefs that you would find in the Word of God, but they are biblical, and they're more about the experiences that you would feel in the atmosphere. And so I believe the things I'm going to talk about over the next several weeks are, are not going to be revelatory in the sense that you would go, wow, I never knew that. I think they're going to feel familiar. If you've been going to church here for any length of time, I believe the things I'm going to talk about in this series, they're going to pass the sniff test. And what I mean is when, when, when I tell you these things are our core values, these are the things that really define the way we fulfill the mission of the church, you're going to go, yeah, I'd, I'd say that's, that's the way that feels around here. That is true. That is what this church is really like. And so today I want to begin <clears throat> by focusing in on this statement. In this house, we create the atmosphere of faith. We create an atmosphere of faith in this house. If you found Psalms 92, I want you to look at two verses, verse 12 and verse 13. It says this, the righteous will flourish like a palm tree. They will grow like a cedar of Lebanon. Planted in the house of the Lord, they will flourish in the courts of their God. Can I just say on the heels of that verse, in the right environment, things will grow. You don't have to know the Bible. If you're a gardener, you knew that to be true. You know, if you have a yard, you knew that, that, that to be true. Things grow. As the seasons change, we begin to see life come to fruition again. And I, I just want to say today that I, I couldn't possibly over-communicate enough how important it is that you do what this verse on the screen says, that you be planted in the house of God. Because if you're planted in the house of God, the promise is this, your life will 
flourish. Your life will flourish. I, last weekend was incredible. Wasn't, it, wasn't Easter Sunday just an, an amazing day? We had so many people last weekend that got planted in the house of God. People that came maybe for the first time and said, this is the place, there's something that's, that's blooming in my life. There's something that God is doing. I didn't feel it before, but, but I got into this atmosphere. I, I got into the rich soil of the church of Jesus Christ, and all of a sudden, something, something began to sprout in this, above the surface. Something that was unseen became visible, and this is my church. Last Sunday, we had so many people <coughs> that, that got replanted in the church. You know, maybe it was because of COVID or, or maybe a multitude of other things, but somewhere in, in the course of, of, of the weeks and the years, they, they got out of the rhythm of being in God's house. And then last Sunday was one of those days that they, they came back in to God's house and they said, you know what, I'm finding, I'm finding my roots again in the house of God. And I can't stress enough how important that is. You need to let your roots go down deep in the house of God. Let your roots go down deep where your life can flourish, where your faith can flourish, your family can flourish in the house of God. And every area of your life will be impacted by this. I had a conversation recently with somebody that it just it touched my heart. Um, they asked me, they said, Pastor, when is the, when is the Hometown Heroes event? And, and I was thinking about all the stuff that's coming up on our calendar. I mean, it was right before Easter, so Easter's coming up, and New Life Sunday's about to happen. Praise God, we've got, um, we've got a new members class happening this Tuesday night. I just talked to a young man after the previous service that said, hey, I just got my, my testimony written. He's getting ready to share his testimony in water baptism, and that's coming up. And then right after New Life Sunday, we got Mother's Day. How many of you know, guys, we can't forget Mother's Day? That's, that's right up front. That's on my mind. And then right after that, we've got graduation Sunday. And then right after that, we've got Pentecost Sunday. And I'm thinking about all these big days, and I'm hometown heroes. And then he said, you know, the event at Labor Day, you did it in Labor Day weekend. And I go, oh, oh yeah, yeah, that, that, it's, Labor, it's still Labor Day weekend. We're going to do it at the same time next year. And he said, good, I just wanted to double check because we're planning our vacation, and we want to plan it around that. And when he said that, I'm going to tell you, it touched this pastor's heart because I recognize in this moment, that's a guy that knows the value of being planted in the house of God. He, he's, not a, he's not, you know, waiting to see what the schedule is, to see if he's going to come to church. He's not waiting to see what the weather is. Is it raining today? Is it nice? Should we go to the park? Well, maybe we'll go to church today. No, this is a person that recognizes that my life flourishes in the house of God. So I'm going to order and arrange my calendar and prioritize it around God's presence. That's good preaching. Somebody needed to say that today, so I just, I just thought I would. Listen, I, I want to encourage you to, to let your roots go down deep. Be planted in God's house. Because if you'll do that, your life will flourish. And can I just say this about growing? Growing is not the goal. Growing is the byproduct. You know, it's the same with your kids. You, you didn't, you know, when you're raising your kids, you're not focused on, I hope they grow. You know, you didn't measure them every day, maybe once a year, maybe a couple times, maybe at the end of summer, but you didn't check their growth chart every day. No, you made sure they were fed. You made sure they bathed every once in a while. You know, you made sure they had clothes to wear and, and, and a roof over their head. And growth is the byproduct. So growth is not the goal, but growth is going to happen in the house of God when we stay rooted and planted and established in, 
And I believe in this house, if you'll stay planted, you're going to grow in your faith. I promise you that. I, I was reading this week about Death Valley. I don't know if you've ever been to Death Valley out in California, but it is the hottest place in the United States. In fact, I'll put a picture up here. This is Death Valley, hottest place in the United States. That looks like a picture that was taken on Mars. I mean, that, that doesn't even look like the United States to me. But that was taken in Death Valley, and it's so hot there. They never have any rain. So that's why it looks just like that. But in 2004, something amazing happened. At the end of 2004, in the winter, in just a short period of time, Death Valley had over seven inches of rain accumulation. And, and it, I mean, it just, it just poured and it poured. And, and nothing happened at first. Nothing seemed to change. But then there was this natural phenomenon that took place in the spring of 2005. That same valley looked like this. And all of a sudden, the experts realized something. Death Valley isn't dead. It's dormant. It's not dead. It's dormant. Now, when I read that, and I learned about the super blooms of Death Valley that happen about once every decade, this natural phenomenon takes place. You know, the Bible says in, in Psalms 19 that creation declares the glory of God, and the sky shows forth the works of his hands. When I read that story, I thought, man, Death Valley is preaching a sermon Right now, about every decade, Death Valley takes the mic, and the sermon is this, that it might look like things are dead. It might look like things are lifeless and fruitless and hopeless, but just beneath the surface, come on, somebody, just beneath the surface, there are seeds of potential. And if the atmosphere gets right, things will grow. And somebody just needs to hear that today, because you're looking at your life, and it feels dead. You're looking at your life, you're looking at your marriage and it feels dead. Your finances and it feels dead. Your emotions, your, your relationship with God, your devotional time, your prayer life, it feels dead and, and it feels like the heavens are brass and you can't break through. But I want to promise you if you'll get planted, like Psalm 92 13 says, in the house of God, the atmosphere will shift in your life. You get into an atmosphere like this where the clouds are pregnant with rain. And I'm going to promise you, life will come. You're not dead. You're just dormant. You're just dormant. In this house, we create that atmosphere. We create it. You know, some people, they grew closer to God through COVID-19 because they had more time with their family. I talked to people even in this church. They said, you know, we're so busy. We're always running here and there. And then when the lockdown came, and we started sharing meals together. We started doing family devotions. And, and our lives got so much richer through that. Now, I talked to plenty of other people that told me the opposite of that. They, they didn't have that experience. They were pulling their hair out. They were frustrated at each other. They were turning on each other. It was a toxic environment. But how many of you know everybody has a temperature in their own home? It's true physically. It's true spiritually. I mean, I know when I, anytime I go to Pastor Chris's house, I have to wear a coat. Because... <laughs> because, because his wife freezes me out. Brittany likes it cold. But I also know if I go to Diane's house, I need to bring a fan with me. How about it, Diane? 
She says, the hotter, the better. That's, that's what she says to me. Every time I tell her how hot it is, she says, the hotter, the better. She's never had air conditioning, doesn't want it. And so everybody has a, a temperature that they prefer in their home. Now, let me ask you another question. Have you ever had a thermostat war in your house? I see parents looking at children, yeah. Yeah. You know, where you, you feel like, oh my gosh, it's so hot in here, and you turn the thermostat down, and then your wife comes down the hall and goes, it's freezing in here. They turn the thermostat back up. I had one of those. I was thinking this week with my brother coming into town, I was thinking about when we moved into our house on Woodridge Boulevard over in the Hempfield School District. I was a young teenager, and it was our first night. I had my own room. I was excited about that. I went to bed that night. I woke up in the middle of the night freezing cold. Now, I, I do not, I'm in a heavy sleeper. I don't wake up for anything, but I was so cold. I woke up in the middle of the night. I walked out into the hallway. I started looking around, and I found the thermostat. Now, I'd never touched a thermostat before in my life. I had no reason to. But that night, I was motivated. I'm sitting there, standing there in, in shorts and a T-shirt, and I look at the thermostat, and it says like 67 degrees. And I'm thinking, that's jacket weather. I'm wearing shorts and a T-shirt. So in my youthful wisdom, I thought, what's good shorts and T-shirt weather? So I cranked it up to about 85 degrees, and I went back to bed. I slept great. But in the morning, my dad came out of his room with a bead of sweat <laughs> dripping down his forehead. And he was doing that where's my belt dance. <laughs> Who touched the, what? And we had a family meeting. <laughs> Can I tell you the outcome of that meeting? The outcome was this, don't touch the thermostat in this house. You don't touch the thermostat, you're not in control of that. And can I just say today again, this is not my church. This is not your church. This is the Lord's church. And the Father has spoken. Hebrews eleven six 6 says, without faith, it's impossible to please God. How many of you want to please the Lord? So we set the thermostat on faith. We set the atmosphere for what God can do. In Hebrews 10, 38, it says, but my righteous one will live by faith. And I take no pleasure in the one who shrinks back. And so we set the temperature for expectation when we come together. And you know what that means practically? It means when we come together on a Sunday morning, that even when it looks like the world is falling apart. We stand on the confidence of Colossians 1.17 that tells us he, Jesus, is before all things, and in him all things hold together. So, so we don't lose our collective minds over the newsreel and the Twitter feed. We know in his hands all things hold together. And, and when it seems like our finances are, are strained or, or the economy is, is going under and it looks like things are not going to work out, we, we don't panic. We don't go into poverty mentality. We don't live from a place of lack. We stay in the, the realm of an abundance mindset because we know what Psalm 50 declares. God said, the animals of the fields are mine. I own the cattle of a thousand hills. And can I add to that? He also owns the hills. And he knows where the gold is buried. Because Haggai chapter 2 verse 8 says, the silver is mine and the gold is mine, declares the Lord. And so we have an attitude that God can and will move on our behalf. When the media is, is 
propagating division and racism and telling us we can't get along and nobody agrees and we can't sit in the same room and have a, an intelligent conversation. We don't let that bleed into the culture of our church. We, we've already adjusted the temperature to the victory of the cross. Amen. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 2 that Jesus came and he tore down the barrier wall of hostility, dividing men. He came and he tore it down, developing one new humanity. Through the cross of Christ Jesus, we can be unified. We can be a beautiful, glorified, diverse body of believers. Why? Because we set the atmosphere on faith and not on the facts. Can I tell you that walking by faith is not a denial of the facts? It's not a denial. Listen, you don't have to check your brain at the door to be a believer. There's some people that they do that. You know, the doctor tells them, hey, your cholesterol is through the roof. You need to change your diet. And then they walk out and they go, well, I'm walking by faith, not by sight. And I think maybe they misinterpreted that verse. Second Corinthians says, you know, I walk by faith and not by stupid is what it should have said for, for some people because, can I just tell you, that's stupid. If your doctor tells you you need to change some things, you probably need to change some things. If they, if they prescribe you a medication, you probably need to take that medication. Look, knowing the facts is not the opposite of faith. But faith is not denying the facts. What faith is, is not giving the facts the final voice. It's not giving the facts the final authority in your life. And so when we take on a posture of faith, what we're recognizing is this. That the truth is greater than the facts. Some of you think that, that sounds like a redundant statement. What are you saying? I'm saying that there, is, there are the facts. But then there is the truth. See, see the fact is, a, a Jewish fisherman can't walk on water. That's a fact. But the truth is, Peter said, if it's really you, Jesus, tell me to come to you. And Jesus said, come on. See, see, the, the fact is, according to the, the, the Galilean FDA, five loaves and two fish would be a satisfactory lunch for a little boy. But the truth is, that when you take the little bit that you have and you put it in the hands of God Almighty, He can multiply it and feed 5,000 with a remainder of 12 baskets. Because the, the truth is greater than the facts. See, amen. The fact is, a Roman crucifixion is a permanent means of death. But how many of you are thankful for the truth that we live on the other side of the resurrection? Amen. Amen. And so God's truth is greater than the facts. Jesus never said, I am the way, the facts, and the life. He said, I'm the way and the truth and the life, John 14, 6. And no man comes to the Father except through me. Listen, I don't know what facts have hindered your faith. I don't know what facts you've believed. Maybe it's the fact that like, you've blown it too many times. Maybe it's the fact that it's too late in the game. Maybe it's the fact that, that you're, you're too young or, or you're too old. I don't know what those facts are, but can I challenge you today to, to buy into the truth, to, to set an atmosphere of faith that believes that with God, all things are possible. Go with me to Mark chapter 5. I want you to see a story here. There's so many stories that I could have gone to today in understanding 
an atmosphere of faith, but as I was reading many of them this week, my heart resonates with this story because it's the story of a man who Mark tells us in Mark chapter 5 was the leader of the synagogue. In other words, he's the one that decided what songs they were going to sing and who was going to read the scripture and who was going to pray. And as I'm reading about this guy, I'm thinking, man, he sounds like me. That's my job. Like, this guy's a pastor. And the Bible says he comes to Jesus in the middle of a crowded street and he falls down at the feet of Jesus. Matthew 5, 23 says while he's there, he pleaded earnestly with him. My little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she'll be healed and live. And so Jesus went with him and a large crowd followed and pressed in around him. Now Mark goes on to tell us that it took a while for Jesus to get to Jairus' house. There were other people that had needs that day. There were other people crowding around Jesus. And, and he stopped, and he, and he met their needs, and he healed them. And all the while, Jairus is patiently waiting, like, Jesus, come on, come on, my daughter, she's sick. And then look at it with me. In verse 35, it says, While Jesus was still speaking, some people came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. Your daughter is dead, they said. Why bother the teacher anymore? That's the facts. She's dead. Don't bother him anymore. Don't pray about it again. Don't waste his time. Don't keep pursuing an answer. Don't keep knocking. It's over. She's dead. But look at the next verse. Verse 36 says, Overhearing what they said, Jesus told him, Don't be afraid. Just Belief. Jairus has a, a predicament. He's here in the middle of a crossroads, and I don't just mean in the street. He has the facts staring him in the face. Your daughter is dead, and he's got to make a decision. Am I going to just accept my lot? Am I going to accept this reality? Am I going to just deal with the facts and go home and mourn with my wife, or am I going to follow the truth? Because the truth is standing right in front of me. And the truth is willing to walk a little farther to my house. And the truth says, just believe. Don't ask questions. Don't try to make it make sense. Just believe. And so the next verse tells us, Jesus didn't let anyone follow him from that point forward except G uh, Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. And when they came to the home, verse 38 says, of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw a commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. And he went in and he said to them, why all this commotion and wailing? This child is not dead, but asleep. But verse 40 says, but they laughed at him. You ever had that response to your faith? You ever had a moment where you decided, you know what? I just believe God can still do it. And people laughed at you. I, I, you know, I know it seems impossible, but I'm just trusting God. And people laughed at you. I, I love the way that, that Mark undervalues this moment of their actions. And he, he doesn't even make a big deal about it. In fact, if you read the rest of the verse there, here's how Jesus responded. It just says, after he put them all out. Like it, does, it doesn't tell us the conversation. It doesn't tell us how he did it. They laughed at Jesus. He just kicked them out of the house. Moving on, next part of the story, Mark says, after he kicked them all out. 
<laughs> I love that. I mean, I would like a little bit more detail in that story. But he just said, moving on, out of the way. It says, he took the child's father and his mother and the disciples who were with him, and he went in where the child was. You know what Jesus is doing in this moment? He's creating an atmosphere of faith. And can I just say to you, if you, you say, I'm going to walk by faith and not by sight, I'm going to trust God for impossible things. I'm going to actually pray prayers that are big enough that if God doesn't show up, I'm going to look like a fool. I'm going to step out in faith and believe God. If you're going to walk down that road, I'm going to promise you there's other people that are not going to walk with you. They're not going with you. Now, I'm not, I'm not recommending we kick anybody out of the church this morning, but I am saying there, there's, some, there's some doubts, there's some voices, there's some lies, there's some disbelief that you need to send an eviction notice to in your heart today. There's some things you've been believing that caused you to, to not step out in faith. You've stood at that crossroads and you've listed all the facts and then you've fact-checked all the facts and you've heard all the reports and all the while Jesus stands in front of you and he says, just believe. Just believe. And if that's you today, I, I want you to know that not everyone's going with you. But if you'll continue to follow the voice of truth, into an atmosphere where faith dwells. God can do the impossible. The Bible says that Jesus, in verse 41, took her by the hand, said to her, Talitha kuam, which means, little girl, I say to you, get up. And immediately, the girl stood up, and she began to walk around. She was 12 years old, and everyone was completely astonished. I want to ask the worship team to come and they're going to help me to do something that I think is so important. In this house, we create the atmosphere of faith. And one of the ways that we create the atmosphere of faith is through our conversation, through our words. That's what Jesus did for J. Iris. He changed the conversation. People were laughing at him. People said, what do you mean she's asleep? The girl's been dead for an hour. He just changed the conversation. For us, that means we, we don't come in to this space and share a collective pity party. It doesn't mean we deny the facts. We deal with reality. In fact, the Bible says in Galatians 6, 2, we're called to bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. So if we're not sharing burdens, we can't bear burdens. And so we've got to share the needs. But we share it in an atmosphere of hope, in an atmosphere of faith, because we know that God can do the impossible. Secondly, we create the atmosphere not just with our conversation, but with our worship. There's good reason that we start our services with songs like, there's nothing that our God can't do. Because we don't step into a faith realm by discussing all the things that are wrong with the world and what can't go right. We develop a faith realm by declaring who God is, where God is, and what He can do. And the psalmist said, oh, let us magnify the Lord. Let us exalt his name together. You know, when you magnify something, it doesn't actually get bigger. It's just your perspective that grows. Listen, God didn't need you to put him on his throne this morning. He's got it. He's on the throne. But when we come together in worship, we, we, we shift our focus. We magnify, not the, the things of this world, but we magnify the Lord. And all of a sudden, He looms large in our life and faith grows in our heart. 
So we create the atmosphere of faith with our conversation and we create the atmosphere of faith with our worship. The third way that we create the atmosphere of faith is with our prayers. I've had people before that, you know, have helped me with services and, you know, I pass them the mic and ask them to come up and lead in prayer and I had less faith for the service after they prayed than I had before they prayed. You know, they got up there and it was just, you know, all, all sad. You know, oh God, you're going to have to help us because, man, it's been tough. And, and I had to coach them afterwards. I didn't write them off. I, I had to coach them. I said, listen, listen, listen. We're going to call people up. When they come to this church, they're going to leave better than they came. Don't, don't, don't pray us into despair. Pray us into faith. Lift your voice with confidence. God can do great things among us. We believe that with God all things are possible. So you can pray about hard stuff, but pray about him in light of a gracious God. He's able. And I had to kind of coach him to say, look, look, we pray with faith here. You can pray with a smile on your face. Because we pray to cultivate an atmosphere of faith. And, and we're going to do that together right now. The worship team is going to sing a song that we sang earlier. They're going to declare, your word is settled. It's spoken. It is so. I'm healed. I'm whole. Because you've spoken. We're going to sing that. We're going to create an atmosphere with our words. But we're also going to do it with our prayers. I want to invite you to stand with me all over this room. I want to read one more passage of scripture to you. Not because you need another verse, but because I think we need to clarify why this is so important. The Bible says in the book of James, chapter 5 Is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Is anyone among you? sick let them call on the elders of the church to come to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord and the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well the Lord will raise them up this this next part is so incredible it says if they have sinned they'll be forgiven therefore Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. Can I tell you, in this house, we invite people to the altar. And, and this is why. Because the Bible says we can go to God to receive forgiveness, but it says we go to God's people to receive healing. And it's still the Lord that does the work, but he says you gotta, you got to go to God's people. you got to create an atmosphere of faith. you got to come together in agreement. And, and then he, he really blows our Protestant minds when he says, confess your sins to each other. So wait, wait a minute, wait a minute. The Catholics say, confess your sins to a man. The, the Protestants say, confess your sins to God. Well, the Bible says both. So we go to God to find forgiveness. But we come to one another to find healing. And so I want to ask some of our altar team if you would come and just stand in the front here. And as they sing this song.